Welcome to Title Talk, a podcast where we discuss all things real estate, from title-related issues, entrepreneurial up and downs, mortgage lending, and more. Now, your host of Title Talk, Claude and Bob. Welcome back to part two of episode two with Title Talk with Bob and Claude. Our guest today is Steve DeLeon. We've been talking about investing and all things, what he works with, how he's done it. One of the things that we always wonder is what type of investors are there that agents and title companies should watch out for? You always hear about the good, you hear about the bad, but what are some signs or things that agents and title companies should watch out for in the marketplace? That's a good question. Uh, and I think, you know, from the conversations that I have with multiple title companies and with multiple agents, it seems to be the wholesale marketer is the one that probably causes the most havoc. And a lot of it is attributed to that, you know, the sale really doesn't transpire unless that wholesale uh, individual is actually has the property resold to someone else. So you have the agents, for example, and title thinking, okay, well, this is, you know, the contracted buyers, the one that's going to be buying this, this property. And so you have the agents conveying that also to the seller that this is who's going to be buying the property. So everybody kind of goes around and, you know, everybody starts title work and everybody's doing their thing. And then when they get a call within the option period saying, Hey, we're not going to be able to close on this, you know, it's, it's kind of a surprise because typically the the offer was made as a cash offer. So why wouldn't you be, right. you know, be, be, be buying it? Uh, you've actually walked through the property. You've seen the property. So what surprise do you have for, you know, why you're not wanting to buy it? So the differences in, in an option period, for example, from a traditional standpoint, when agents are working with, with buyers is typically the buyers doing their due diligence. They're getting their home inspections done. They're making sure that, you know, everything that they're, looking through the property that they want to move forward with it from a wholesale perspective, that option period, they're not looking at it from an inspection standpoint. They're looking at, okay, I've got these five days or seven days to really go sell this contract to someone, someone else. And if I can't, then I know I've got my out and I can get my earnest money back. And I think that's, that's an area where you get sellers thinking that it's a done deal and it's really not, I would say the percentage is very low. And you guys probably have a better perspective since, you know, you, you have a title company. Uh, but I would think that it's probably around 30% or so of those contracts or less that are closing versus the, the number of contracts that you're getting uh, coming through to your door. I would say that part of the issue is not only are they not closing, the issue is that wholesalers – for some reason, don't like disclosing that they're actually assigning the contract to a third party, other than it's saying in the contract that it can be assigned. Mm -hmm. When we require or ask that the amount of the assignment be disclosed, we usually get pushback. And we find a lot of delays in contract closings because, as you pointed out, they don't have the property pre-sold. They're trying to find their ultimate buyer who's available and wants to purchase that property. And what happens, unfortunately, on the title side is a lot of these wholesalers have been going to classes that teach them that even though they may not be able to find the ultimate buyer, if they file a memorandum of contract in the county records, they basically have now tied up the property and are I don't want to say guaranteed, but ensured some sort of a financial payment to get it released. 
Yeah, I, I've seen that and I've heard that as well. And it's it's a it's a definitely a slippery slope because you know I, I get the fact that they're what they're doing is they're they're selling an interest that they have in them in the an equitable interest that they have in the property, but it's still not their piece of property because if something were to happen, somebody were to fall down and get you know sue. Uh, the seller, they're not going to be suing the <laughs> right. equitable interest person, you know. So I think that's a fine, there's a fine line there, and I'd like to see where where that would would change. I think there's there needs to be some things changed because you know I was I sat on an on an iBuyer panel here recently. We sat on three of them here in Dallas and Fort Worth, and one of the things that that came up was that excuse me, the brokers had brought up that that iBuyers like Open Door and things were the competition, if you will, of the of the agent. To me, I think the amount of business that's, that's not being tracked because it's really hard to track off-market properties, transactions, really it's the, the – a lot of times it's these wholesalers that are really the competition. Right. You know, if you're lucky and you find somebody that's doing business the right way and they end up closing it, they've got a system in place to where they can do it, then that's fine and dandy. But then what ends up happening too is besides them not buying the property, a lot of times what happens, they'll tie up the property the day or two before closing. They come back to the seller and they say, hey, you know what? I can't pay you now what I thought I was going to pay you. And the seller's already made plans. They've already done what they're, they're, they're doing to move out. And then all of a sudden now the, this wholesale market is saying, well, you know, I need a $10,000 deduction off, off, off our agreement. We're not, we're not going to close. You know, and that's just not the right way to, to, to do business. But what happens is that the seller is caught in that spot to where they need to sell that property. They may have already moved out of the property. There's a lot of things that so there's a lot of things that can be done to be proactive from an agent if they're being represented. But what happens is a lot of times these are sellers that are trying to avoid to pay a commission, and they end up getting you know in themselves in a, in a bigger problem by not hiring representation. So you talk about the i buyer. With technology and where the industry is going, do you think that the iBuyer model will be added and have iSellers where you have a fully digital or technological platform where almost the agents are no longer, I don't want to say a party of the transaction, but more and more sellers trying to sell their properties on them by themselves as opposed to going to an agent. I think so, and I think you you have that in a scale now in the in the for sale by owner dot com. You know, you can be a, a private seller and put your properties on on Zillow, for for example, for for sale. So I think you're going to see more and more of that. And unfortunately, when it's it's not monitored correctly, and then you you have people that are going to be taken advantage of in that respect as far as like some of the things we talked we talked about so people are going to, have to be, be extra extra careful you know even though i'm an agent myself i have, I have my, my license i still work with agents and have them list my properties either for sale or for, for lease uh, i would rather work with an agent to keep everything arm's length transaction than for things to be clouded or for me to get a phone call down the road saying hey there's something fishy about this deal i'm like okay we did everything the right way we've got an arm's length transaction here it's tough to pay you know those commissions but to be safe and from an agent standpoint there it's more than just uh, you know putting a sign out and putting it on mls there's a, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of pieces that people don't understand that in a contract that, that they need to be aware of. I think also people don't realize the commission's already built into the price to the extent. So if you're looking at a comp and you say, okay, in this area there's three houses that sold for 250 Well, that 250 factors in the commission that's already there, right? Yeah. So if you're not going to use an agent, you would take your 6% out of that and then price it lower. But obviously that's not the thought process there. Another point you brought up, for a wholesaler or someone who's selling the properties to a wholesaler, 
I guess a, a heads up to the agent and to the seller would be if during the option period no one's coming by to do inspections. Right. They probably want to look and kind of say, okay, maybe this won't go. If you're saying 30% fall mm-hmm. out, that could be a good opportunity at least for them to, to look, okay, if the option period's five, 10 days. Right. If no one shows up, hey, we, we may want to get ready to put this back on the market. Exactly. And then the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that if they're selling it to one of these brokerages that focus on working with investors, you may have a group of people show up to a a 30 minute or a one hour window. uh, And it's basically other investors that are trying to buy that. that Interesting. So they're coming to look at it if they want to to buy it. Here's the thing. So in the class that we teach, there's there's questions that we basically provide agents to ask that uh, investor that's making an offer on their property. And one of them is just who's your preferred title company? You know, and, uh, you know, obviously... You know, they all say Texas title. All, yeah, well, we would hope. <laughs> or they we, should. The smart ones would. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. The smart ones would, would, say, would say Texas title. Asking them, like, who they close with and then how many properties they've bought in the last 90 days. Uh, find out how, you know, how they, they structure their, their offers, where their, where their money's coming from. And, you know, agents are trained to take the highest offer and just get proof of funds. Well, that doesn't mean that that individual has a track record of actually closing transactions. And the way, only way you're going to find out is who their preferred title company is so that you can verify the, the answers that they give you when you call that escrow officer to find out, okay, is this a, a reputable wholesaler or investor that we're selling this property to? Or is it going to be a circus at closing where we're going to have, we're going, we're going to have issues, and, issues and problems? You need to find that out. Realtors are used to working with traditional buyers where basically the mortgage company is doing all the vetting. They're asking all the hard questions of, and trying to figure out, do these people have a track record of paying their bills? How much money they got in the bank account? Do they make enough money? Those types of things. When you're dealing with a, with a cash investor or a wholesaler, the agent really needs to take that responsibility, that due diligence themselves, and really ask these these tougher questions to make sure. So when she goes back or he goes back and presents this offer to their to the seller, they have a good understanding and a good feel. They're just not crossing their fingers, hoping that this guy's going to fall. <laughs> they're going to fall follow through. So over your 30 years of experience, what, in your opinion, makes a good investor? Uh, I think it comes down to kind of like, you know, uh, having that strategy, having a, having that vision of, uh, of where you want to be. I think we talked a little bit about in this market, it's easy for everybody to get in the business, okay? And when the, when the market is good, you definitely have to have – you definitely have to have to be diverse. You have to have uh, a diversity of properties and diversity of ways of, of definitely multiple exit strategies in your approach as far as what you're going to do with all, all the properties that you're, that you're buying. Uh, you, you definitely have to have that long-term vision and not be so short-sighted and – only do flipping or only do wholesaling, for example. And you work with wannabe investors, how to get into the business, how to develop strategy, how to look for properties. Is that something that your company does? Well, it just depends. We're, we're looking to work with individuals that want to build wealth. So if, if, if it's someone that's only interested in flipping a property, we're, you know, we're probably not going to be the best, uh, best option for them because or if they're looking to, to, be, to wholesale properties, we're probably not going to be the best option for them as, as well. We're, our focus is all, is all about building wealth because over the years we've found that that's really the key at, at attaining where, you know, financial stability is really that cash flow and that appreciation of these properties. And for individuals that are interested in that, we'd, we're definitely more than happy to work with them and give them some insight in what we're, what we're doing. All right. So here's, the, uh, here's the, the million-dollar question. Where do you see the market going in 2020? 
I think it's going to be a lot like it's been this year. Over probably the last 18 months, we've seen definitely a shift to where it's you know, shifting more into a, um, a more into a seller's market. It's becoming more balanced. And I think that we're headed that way again in, in 2020. I think we're going to have, you know, right now properties are the average home is sitting on the market for about 54 days. Uh, according to, I think it was like a Texas uh, report that did come out for the third for the third quarter, and that's two days longer than it was in the same time period in 2018. We're definitely moved more towards a balanced market. I think you're going to see a few more houses and inventory we won't have the necessarily the shortage that we had a few years uh, a few years ago. You know, and I think 2021 really would be this was going to be the same thing. I think I don't see anything in the horizon that uh, unless God forbid we have a another 9-11 or something like that happened. Stability-wise, I think it, we're just we're moving more towards a, a balanced market. You prefer a balanced market, I assume, because <coughs> the swings aren't as... Yeah, as ob- obviously that we prefer more of a balanced market, especially for uh, buy and hold, because we buy the properties a little bit a little bit uh, more favorably. Obviously, when the market's down a little bit, we like it that even better. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> but do, you, do you find, though, as kind of a more balanced market, the rental potential is, is better? Or worse for us, it, we have it, it. It just kind of amazes me sometimes how many people are out there really renting properties. You know, not so much. I'm not talking from a landlord standpoint. Just right. just individuals that for them, for whatever reason, it's just a better fit to rent a home. We're in a market right now to where the rental market is very strong. There's very few properties that are that are available, especially the ones that are that have been cleaned up in, in good areas. They're, they move rather quickly, and I think that's going to that's going to continue to stay that way. And I think as we look at, for, and I'll give you one example of kind of where my where my thought process is, is that I read an article uh, not too long ago when it talked about uh, the millennials. Only one third of millennials age 35 or younger own a home. You know, 75 percent are renting something or, you know, or maybe they're living with their, still living at home if they're, if they're really young. But I see that trend really continuing. I don't think there's going to be much of, much of a shift change. And it kind of makes you wonder where Generation Z is going to be. That 15-year-old that's sitting on the couch right now, where is he going to be at 30? Are we going to be looking Hopefully at he's not on the couch. Exactly. <laughs> playing, video, playing video games. I got but, a 15-year-old. Well, Hopefully he's not, not on the couch. Exactly. Yeah, not on exactly. couch. But are they going to follow that same trend to where only a third of them are going to be homeowners by the time of 35? Or is it going to be even increased from there? Is it going to be when they're 40? Right. You know. I hope uh, not. So, yeah. All right, let's shift a little. Let's find out some fun facts about Steve. All right, perfect. So, Steve, what do you do away from investing? Man, you know, my wife will tell you it's 24-7, 365. <laughs> uh, she gets aggravated with me because I'm on the phone either texting or something at 7, 8 o'clock at night. But I'll, I'll, I'll share a little secret with you. I'm actually, when I leave here, I'm actually going to go buy a new set of golf clubs. A few years ago, I was playing basically every Friday. <laughs> And then uh, somehow or another, I just uh, through the transition of things, and uh, just it seems like the, that Friday became instead of every Friday, every other Friday, and then once well, one Friday a month to where then I hadn't been playing at all. And I promised myself uh, that by the end of the year, I would go buy some new clubs and hit it for 2020. There's a story about golf and an anniversary. Want to tell that one? Uh, well, it's actually a golf and a birthday. <laughs> Sorry, golf and a birthday. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when my wife and I first got married, our, one of our first Christmases, she bought me a uh, set of golf clubs. My birthday is December 27th, and my wife's birthday is December 28th. 
So what do I do the next morning? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, but, you try out the club. Exactly. Like anyone Ex- would do. Exactly. So I, mean, I uh, she wanted you to, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I went out I went out there and played and had a good time and just lost track of time. And then before I realized it, you know, obviously, you know, it's midnight, winter, two o'clock. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who it's, hasn't done that? Exactly. <laughs> it's winter, so you know, it gets darker a lot sooner. So you're like, holy! And then I started thinking, crap, you know, I, I got to get home. But, you know, I got to get a present. I got to get something. Yeah, I got to. Yeah, I got to swing by a Target or a Walmart, pick something up or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, so I definitely got in trouble when I told her that I was going to buy some new clubs this year. She said, okay, whatever you do, don't go play golf on my birthday. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good story. That's one of those ones we can laugh back now. You yeah, know? right. At the time, at the time I, was was, definitely uh, in hot, I was definitely in hot water. I'm not sure I would tell her that you're buying new clubs around this time of year <laughs> exactly. right now. I would just go do it. She's going to think there's, a, there's something going on. So rumor had it that as a child you had a chocolate addiction. I still do. My mother-in-law for Christmas... Uh, will buy me those uh, cherry-filled chocolates. So she'll buy me a box of those every year. It's been like that for my wife and I have celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary this past December 4th. And uh, so for 32 years, I've been getting a box of chocolates every year for Christmas for my mother-in-law. So, yeah, definitely love uh, – I can definitely uh, uh, chow down on some chocolate. As a chocolate connoisseur myself, what is your favorite candy, chocolate candy that is? I'm like at Central Market every, like almost feel like I'm there every day picking something up. And right there at the cash out, they have those uh, chocolate covered almonds. Mm-hmm. And I'll pick up one of those and that thing, I'll munch on that for two or three days. And then next time I'm at Central Market again. And that's really been kind of like my go-to over the last uh, few years. Would so you're you go a with, chocolate impulse buyer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so would you go with the almonds over, let's say, the pretzels? Yes. Not, Ooh, I'm not white a, chocolate pretzels? Yeah, I'm not a, not a pretzel fan. How about a uh, M&M's or um, peanut butter cup? Definitely do Reese's, for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, the Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, I'll definitely do those as well. Definitely do the M- M&M's. I can't pass up a bowl the of The problem M&M's. with the yeah. M&M's is if you get the small bag, there's so few in there. Uh-huh. And if you get the big bag, you eat them all. Yeah, So exactly. there's like that, that there's the problem, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you do? Yeah, And exactly. you can't put them in the bowl because you're not going to reach in the bowl yeah. with M&M's in there. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, and we can't leave out the Hershey bar with the almonds sprinkled in there. I mean, that's that's another one that's a, been, a, been a go-to for me as well over the years. The beauty of it is my youngest is allergic to peanuts, so oh, okay, that's not the beauty of that. But the uh, <laughs> but Halloween it is yeah. because that shift comes to me exactly. on all that stuff. So he likes more of the hard hard candy. So in my house, I just eat anything. Yeah. Dog or cat? Dogs. Do you oh. have dogs? Yes. How many? Uh, we have one right now. He's this is our Cosmo is our fourth dachshund, and so you uh, like big dogs. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. The, we like uh, dogs that think that they're big. He thinks he's a, he thinks he's a Doberman. He's a, I call him our our, our family hemorrhoid. So. <laughs> I had a dachshund. Well, my mom had a dachshund when I was little. Yeah, we've had the uh, males and, and and females, and the the, the males are definitely more. Uh, more aggressive and uh, than the than the females are, and he could hear a leaf fall outside, and he thinks that somebody's breaking into the house. <laughs> <laughs> so he's also a guard dog. Exactly, he's uh, he's head of security over at MCM. <laughs> as, uh, yeah, as, as long as people don't see him, they'll be scared. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> the minute they see him, they'll be like, "Okay, we'll just walk on through." <laughs> All right, so we have a little <clears throat> section where we just ask rapid-fire questions. Okay. We change them up. Some of them are the same. If you could own one property in the world, what would that be? Uh, the White House. 
Oh, why? I went to D.C. here mm-hmm. you know, uh, earlier this this spring, and I took a picture of it, and I posted it on Facebook, and I said, you know, I think I could flip this property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, have to, I have to do a walkthrough, but I think I could flip this property here. Yeah, could you yeah. imagine the things that have gone on there? Oh, exactly. Just the history behind it and everything else is, that's in there. I mean, obviously, unfortunately, we're going to go into some more history now. There, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, it never changes. Yeah. I mean, the it cycles it's through. It's a constant thing. I mean, yeah. who's, who's next? All right, I'm going to flip it. Bob, what what would be the answer to that question for you? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure that I did see one that was right by Central Park. There was a penthouse that was uh, pretty nice. Yeah. But then again, I'd have to live in New York. So exactly. Catch 22. Yeah. I'd probably just want an island if I could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd, you know. I'd love to own like a ranch in Santa Fe. We, my wife and I go to Santa Fe three, four times a year. It would just love that, that whole uh, terrain in that area over there. I'd love to own you know, some kind of a ranch over there. Well, if I had unlimited funds, I would own exactly. a lot of stuff, right? Why just one? Why limit it to one? I mean, it's one, one yeah. of those things. If, if I could, yeah. then that's the other side of it is if you could, would you really do it? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, exactly. oh, yeah, I want all these things. And then if you can have them, you're like, but I really just want to read a book and mm-hmm. hang out at the house. All right, what is the top thing on your bucket list? Left to do? Yes. Uh, wow. One of the things my wife and I talked about doing is, is spending like an entire summer in Europe. And I think that that would be kind of kind of cool to do. So we're looking forward to maybe doing that, you know, down the, obviously down the road. But that would be one of the things that I'd, I'd love to love to do. That'd be fun, especially at an older age where you're not sitting in hostels and riding the train. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although exactly. the train the train is fun. It yeah. is. You got to do yeah. it once, not right? Not staying yeah. in hostels. The hostels not bad. When you at know, 18, when you know nothing else uh-huh. exists, even if you know there's a hojo out there, the hostel <laughs> is not, uh, you know. But they don't have the pool, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, describe yourself in three words: driven, strategic, and funny. All right, very good. What's your favorite book? Uh, I would have to say, you know, there's been so many, so many books that that uh, you know. When, when I remember the one that I think that, that made the, the lasting impression on me, and then I actually gave it to my son to read, and I know that he, he enjoyed reading as well. Is was was the Rich Dad Poor Dad. That's a good book. Yeah, it's you a know, great book. Yeah, it's it's really it's really a, a good book. It'd be a great book for even teenagers to read, not, sure. not necessarily someone that's necessarily interested in in, in real estate. And I, I gave, think the lessons in that, right? It's, there's it's, lessons. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of good lessons in, in that book. And I actually gave, when my son came back from, he was at uh, Texas Tech for a while. And when he came back, I, I gave him that book to read. And, and he got pumped up and excited about the business. But then he had a, a little bit better understanding as well, you know, kind of like life in general. And what all these different forks in the road can change a man's life or a, or a woman's life. Sure, sure. What's the best advice you ever received? I would say I've been very fortunate to have a couple of different. Well, I should say about three three mentors uh, in in my life. And the the great thing and the thing that I respected about them so, so much was that not only their their advice, but their on business, but their advice in in life. And I think for me, it's it's whether you're a business owner uh, or just a dad. Try to be present in all that you're doing. I've got one for you. If you could have dinner with any two people, present or past, who would they be? Dinner with any two people, present or past, okay. Present would definitely be uh, like Warren Buffett. I, I, I really uh, admire all the, all that he's he's done and what he does, not only from a business side, but uh, from uh, from a community uh, standpoint as well. Sure. And uh, past, uh, man, that's present or present or past. past. Yeah, so yeah, I would, I would just probably say probably Warren Warren Buffett. So, Steve, we end every podcast with a question from our guest. Okay. So, uh, and that question is the first question we ask in our next episode. So, what question would you have for our next guest? 
I would say, what is the most interesting career or job that you've had in your lifetime? That's a good question. What would the answer be for you? I think for me it was that the, that three month internship that I did as a police, because that really <laughs> opened my eyes to a lot of a lot of a lot of different things. For sure, that was the most exciting and the most scary that I'd ever been. Because I can remember being told us that we were told me that I was going to go with this group of robbery detectives out. I was like pumped up and excited, like, all right, man, this is going to be like the real like the real stuff, you know. And I'm envisioning everything like what you see on. TV. Right, cops. Exactly. <laughs> and when we were there on the ground at this apartment complex and I'm hiding behind a, like a wall and a dumpster and I've got this bulletproof vest in, I didn't have a radio on me, but I was the officer next to me had the, his, his radio and they said, you know, everybody go in. And they were going in through windows, knocking doors. I mean, this guy was a serious, serious criminal. When all through the, the the chaos of being inside then and seeing as they're chasing him down, I thought, okay, the wait a minute, this is not this is not for me. <laughs> this is not this is not me. I need to get I need to I need to get out of here like real quick. <laughs> all right, Steve. Thanks for being here. Good luck in 2020. Thank you everyone for listening to Title Talk with Bob and Claude. If you enjoyed hearing about these stories and want to learn more, please tune in next time where we share more stories and insight. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Title Talk. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating. And also be sure to subscribe on all major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, and more.